Okay, we are back for our third and final episode in this very special limited series on In the Heights with the one and only Lin Manuel Miranda and two of his longtime confidants and collaborators, In the Heights writer and producer Kiara Alegria Pudes and executive music producer Alex Lacomoire. How are y'all feeling? Very good. Good to hear you again. Are you excited. excited to now talk about this movie? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I, y'all, I've watched it six times. And that's just because I keep wanting to show like my husband and then I want to show my daughter. And then I want to like, I'm like, you guys just, let's just watch it one more time. Um, but Lynn, I don't think a lot of people know the long journey it took to making the film version of In the Heights. So where did, um, where did the idea first come from? If you don't mind I, I mean, I think it began, again, with the success of the show. I don't think anyone really thought of it seriously until, you know, we, we kind of had an amazing year at the Tony Awards, which was necessary for the future life of the show. Because, again, we're a show written by people nobody's heard of, starring, with the exception of Priscilla Lopez, people nobody's heard of. Um, and so um, that seal of approval from the Broadway industry really kind of you know, it ensured the life of the musical on Broadway. And so, again, we got very excited pitches from Hollywood studios. Hollywood came a-calling. I'll never forget the meetings uh, with Kiara uh, when, you know, these big fancy studios came to talk to us. And we signed with one of those studios and, and I, you know, I, in, in retrospect, I was so naive and I'm so grateful for the learning experience that came with that first Hollywood go-round because it went from, we'll do anything to make this musical into a great big movie. Um, and again, around that time, Mamma Mia had come out and it was this big hit. And it was kind of the first big return of the Hollywood musical. Now we're getting several a year, but it had been a dormant genre for a very long yeah. time. And Mamma Mia brought it back in a big way. And it went from, we'll do anything to make this musical to, oh, but there are no Latino stars who test international. Um, and that was, that's really Hollywood code for, we're not going to spend money on untested talent. Um, and it, it became this zero-sum game of, well, if this international Latina recording star isn't in your movie, we're not making the movie. Um, uh -huh. And again, that's Hollywood passing the buck to the music industry uh, because they're not in the business of making Latino stars. So it's this self-defeating cycle and you know it better than anyone. Um, we don't have quote unquote Latino stars that test international because we don't right. put Latinos in movies. In movies, um, right. In chicken or the roles. egg. The chicken or the yeah, egg. How can I exactly. be a star if you don't put me in your movie? <laughs> Correct. And so, again, I, I, I bear no ill will towards this international recording star for whom it would have cost money <laughs> to be in this movie. Um, and, and they didn't do it. And the movie went into turnaround. And yeah. Kiara and I looked at each other. And again, I thought I was going to play Usnavi in that movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this was 10 years away. ago. This was, was 10 years ago. You can still yeah. find interviews on YouTube. I auditioned for it 10 years ago. <laughs> I met you 10 years ago. I mean, again, and right. And like, it was, it was just like, yes, but you don't have quote unquote, this, like again, which yeah. is Hollywood code for fear. It's just yeah. fear. And in a lot of ways, time sort of caught up with us. And 
we went back to the drawing board. Uh, we went to many different directors, man, many different folks. And in around, I think, 2014 or 2015, well, a couple of things happened. One, I met um, Scott Sanders, who is our the producer of our film, uh, for the mm -hmm. first time. The, the week after In the Heights closed, I got a gig playing a very small part in a Disney movie called The like, Odd Life of Timothy Green. It was really one of the first movies mm -hmm. I ever worked on. And Scott Sanders was the producer of that movie, and he was a... He's a film producer who also produces theater. He produced The Color Purple on Broadway. And he sort of turned to me between scenes and was like, what's going on with the In the Heights film? And I was mm. like, nothing. Like, just nothing. And he goes, well, that's insane. <laughs> um, and yeah. it really kind of made it his personal cause uh, to, to get this movie rolling again. And then suddenly Kiara has, like time and distance from the original Broadway musical. And, and I want you to talk a little bit about the, the sort of the writing of that screenplay, because I think the, the, the updates you did are so brilliant. Yes. And I don't think they could have happened in 2009 when we were so mm -hmm. close to what we had just made. Yeah. And, and, and because the movie industry is, it's a different pace. Kiara, how did you approach it to adapt? Because it's not like, let's just throw it up. Let's just throw it up. And right. how the musical was like, it's just going to be the same. What, what, um, because there was a lot of adjustments and seamless. Like the movie is, I loved the musical and I love the movie. You know, when you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, musical was better or the movie is so much better. Like this, you did such a good job at adapting this for film. I mean, there were some things I knew going in and there were some things that were just a matter of trial and error. So the, the big like above the fold ideas going in was I knew there was still going to be a need to cut songs and probably cut characters just so that the film could not only focus more, but also breathe. You don't want the film to feel like it's just crammed full of a bunch of things and you're just trying to get to the next thing. You, you want it to breathe a little bit. Um, I wasn't sure which ones, though, and that that took trial and error. The other thing that was really exciting about doing the film, and I was a more mature writer now also. It was that I did have time and distance from the stage show, but I also had a lot more confidence. I had spent years um, writing my own plays and, you know, following my vision as an artist. So I was clearer on what stories I wanted to put into the world, too. And it was really exciting to return to In the Heights with that, you know, kind of more mature um, sense of purpose and so the, the the other thing that was really exciting was on stage, it's basically set outdoors on the block. You go to a few kind of interiors, but it all feels like it's outside because that's the unit set that never changes. But I'm like, you know, I want to go into Abuela Claudia's living room. Yeah. And how is a conversation in you know, her kitchen? I want to see stove. what her pots look I could like. Smell, I could smell you the know, food. I, I wanted yes. to see it. And John Chu was so right there about that, about <laughs> these little, you know, Abuela Claudia has a line, little details that tell the world, mm. you know, and that's what a close up on a screen in a movie theater can give you. That theater, if you're sitting, you have to make the best piece you can for the back row of the audience. You don't get those little little details in the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was so excited to know, like, how does Abuela Claudia talk to Nina and Usnavi in a different way when she's in the privacy of her living room or over her stovetop? That's a different conversation than they would have out on the stoop. Also, I want to see what was her Cuba? Yeah. What, what was her plaza? What were those birds there? I want to, there's oh, no man. reason not to. We can go there. I want to see Usnavi's beach. Yeah. 
He yeah. wants to see his beach. I want to see it too. I want to see what what does it feel like for Usnavi to get that water lapping on his feet. It's yeah. not just oh, it's paradise. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes, it's those things, but it cuts much deeper. For well, that him. I don't want to do any spoilers, but that payoff at the end is just genius. <laughs> it's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What was what was so thrilling? Just that first trailer. When you see Usnavi narrating and he's on a beach, if yeah, you're, you're like, a fan oh, of the show, oh, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I said that. I said that to my husband because my husband never saw it. And I go, oh, God. Oh, my. What did they do? <laughs> well, another thing that we that especially with with John Chu, we talked about a lot was, um, you know, when you go to see a Broadway musical, you're just expecting them to break into song. It's natural. It's the stage. It's all make believe make-believe works a little bit differently on screen. And so how do you transition into a song without it feeling like awkward yes. and a little embarrassing? Yes. And so I wanted uh -huh. to create a convention that like, Usnavi's literally looking at us, direct address, telling us a story. And if we know he's telling the story of what happened to him on those days in In the Heights, then we know he's an unreliable narrator. We get to go into his point of view. He experienced something like a song. And I put that line in, the streets were made of music. So that we know that's mm. just how he saw the world. He's just a good yeah. storyteller, basically, as opposed to like, oh, awkward. We just pivoted into song. There are so many things I love about this screenplay that you guys did that updated it from the play, which was contemporary storylines. You did a dreamer storyline that, yeah, yeah. Oh, that storyline. I was like, Oh my gosh. And it was so like, it was real and authentic. It didn't feel like you're like, Oh, let's jam in something contemporary into this script. Um, what made you decide to, to pull that storyline? One of the things I, really loved and connected with. Sonny's a character I relate to a lot. And I, I loved writing jokes for Robin de Jesus um, on Broadway because I knew his voice. You start writing, just like Lynn was writing songs for Chris Jackson, I was definitely writing jokes for Robin de Jesus. And they're funny. He's His character is a lot of comic relief. But what he's joking about is like he's kind of a radical political visionary. You know, he has a joke like, you know, underage cousins of Bodega Workers Unite. You know, he knows about the history of labor movements in the nation <laughs> and how Latinos were right there and central to those movements. You know, he says, I'm the Robin Hood of El Barrio. He's talking about wealth distribution, you know, and I was like, OK, let's that's fun. I love that. I let's dig deeper into what does Sonny think about what's happening in this nation right now? What does Sonny think about family separation? I bet he, yeah. you know, I bet that cuts deep and hits him real hard and personal. So that was my way in. And then I started to explore that. And I thought, well, Nina, he and Nina might have some interests that overlap there. So what if we get them talking about immigration mm -hmm. issues? What if we get them talking about family separation? How is that personal for them? Yeah, there was a big overlap with Nina and Sonny. So uh, Nina is the character who goes away to college, doesn't have a great experience mm -hmm. um, and comes back. And Sonny is the younger cousin of Usnavi for anybody who doesn't um, know the play. Um, I loved how you intertwined those two storylines. And I loved Nina's fight with her father at the table of going, you're not listening and how hard mm. it is for first generation college goers to get to a Yale or a Stanford, <laughs> yeah. um, even even any college, by the way, you know, and just feel out of place. Um, yeah. You know, and it's something it seems like on the surface, Kevin, who's the father, should relate to Nina and mm. understand because he came here from Puerto Rico 
And so he had to build a life. And so he doesn't understand that she felt felt alienated. And he's going, so just keep going. What's, what's the big deal? Get over it. But yeah. she's pointing out these kind of subtle distinctions that he doesn't yeah. notice. She's like, well, when you came here, there was a Latino oh. community to yes. build those relationships. She's like, there is not a Latino community I've been able to tap into at Stanford in the same way. So she feels a cultural dislocation that's distinct from her father's, you know, yeah. journey. And so he she has to get it through his thick skull, you know, like, no, Papi, you you faced your own version, but I'm facing my version now and I don't have all the answers yet. And it it's different than what you experienced. Yeah, I uh, I remember running into Lin-Manuel and I want to talk a little bit about John Chu when he came on because you were like, I was hoping for like, hope we can get 25 dancers in the street. And and it, it, here comes John Chu off of Crazy Rich Asians, and he goes twenty. We need we need a thousand. Like like he just <laughs> up to the game with the vision. Lynn, can you yeah. speak to why John? Why did you go with John? Which was a genius choice. And and people don't if you really go down the rabbit hole of his. Uh, what he's done in the past, like people go, oh, Crazy Rich Asians. Like, no, he's done so many other musical projects. And so I, I felt like he was a perfect match for this. But what did he bring to the table? Yeah, I, well, first of all, when we sat down with John for the first time, I, I knew he could deliver a musical number. That was the one thing I knew because uh, I saw Step Up to the Streets opening weekend and I love the dance sequences in in those movies that he made and and the web series and things he made with like Legion of Extraordinary Dancers. I knew he like was able to film dancers and capture them in, in a really brilliant and kinetic way. Mm -hmm. That's sort of all I knew before I sat down with him uh, and Scott Sanders sort of sat me down with him. Um, but what we sort of quickly realized, it was not unlike meeting Kiara for the first time. It was it was very much the like, oh, you're like me. First generation, no. you know, his dad came uh, Chinese American and started a business. And it's like now a thriving, successful business. He's Chef Chu um, and, and well known in the Bay Area. But he was like us in that he was he was running around between his parents' legs at their business, an immigrant-owned like local business, and and then to be the one kid of many kids to be like reaching for a video camera when your parents have made miracles happen for you to have a better life. And I'm going to go into the most unstable, insecure uh, career choice. Um, that's that's something that was a lived experience for him, and it is a lived experience for many of the characters. Um, mm. in our in our show, redefining the nuance of what home means to us when we right. when we honor the experiences of our parents who made a way where there is no way. And um, again, we met him before Crazy Rich Asians had happened and had been released, but he instinctively knew this isn't a little musical. This is a big musical. These are <laughs> relatable characters, but they are they have big dreams and we have the right to reach for that. Um, and I think Crazy Rich Asians was really him learning about his power and how to use it uh, to tell wow. that story. And again, he created a lane where none existed. And now Gemma Chan is in a Marvel movie and Henry Golding opens <laughs> movies. But again, like to give the lie that we heard 10 years ago, we don't have stars that test international. He made a big yeah. movie and made a, a generation of stars. And, yeah. and, and I think that was the thinking that also went into um, 
into this movie was we've mm. got stars, you know, we've got Jimmy Smith, we've got, you know, Mark Anthony for a day. Um, yeah. But we Daphne, also have Daphne Ruben Vega, Daphne Ruben Vega. But we also have Leslie Grace, who yeah. is a star in this corner of the world oh, in the music community. Oh, she's so good. She's and so good. we have Melissa Barrera, who oh, I don't know if you've seen, but has Mexicana. been killing it on three seasons of, of Vida. Um, so yeah. uh, again, like really intentional um, yeah. about making a lane for us and dreaming bigger than all of us. I, I wish I were on the location scout where Kiara was with John and they went to Highbridge Pool and were like, I need oh 6,000. Because again, in the in your screenplay, that was on the block, um, and there were fantasy sequences inside of it. And then yeah. you guys go visit Highbridge Pool on 175th Street and go, "Oh, yeah. this can be so much bigger." And I think he always reached for the idea you couldn't do on stage. Oh um, my gosh, that pool scene! Y'all get ready for the best <laughs> pool scene ever in the history of movies. Like it, it, it was like such a nod to old film as well. And, and yeah, yet... it's like total Esther Williams, MGM. Oh, total. You know, we were done our location scout, by the way, it was raining. It was cold. We were done and we're driving away. And John Chu looks at me and he's like, is there anything else in the neighborhood that we should see that I should just see? So I have a sense of it. And I was like, well, you know, we're not too far from the pool, but I'm sure it's closed and I'm sure the pools are drained. And we, we, in the rain kind of snuck around back where there's um, a wrought iron fence so that you can peek through, but it doesn't look like anything because the pools are drained. It's kind of like a drag yeah. of an empty space. And and then we're kind of like giggling in the backseat of the van after that. And we're like, you know, could we? Could we? <laughs> and we were still asking, could we? Like two days later and we were like, we There are shots to. in that sequence. I don't know how he did. I don't know how he did. I, I, I look at that sequence and I go, that's just... He's a genius. I mean, he's a genius and how he shot it and that song. I mean, the song and how everybody's in it, but it doesn't feel um, for, I mean, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful scene and sequence and song. Um, can we talk about Anthony Ramos for one second? And Lynn, uh, knowing <laughs> knowing that you're not going to be Usnavi, so who, I mean, to find mm. Lynn Manuel's replacement, like I just, I don't even know. There's, you, you, you can't even fill your shoes. Um, and Anthony did not only a great job, he owned it and he knocked it out of the park. Can we talk about, like, he is so charismatic. He jumps off the screen. I just want to like, kiss his face every time he comes on screen. Well, everyone wants to kiss his face. That's how you know you have a movie star on your hands. <laughs> like, I felt that way when I, he walked into the Hamilton audition room and, right. and performed my shot. Like he wanted to devour the room. Um, and, you know, again, I, I had the good fortune of, of performing uh, Hamilton with him for a year and a half where he literally played my son uh, in act two uh, every night. And, um, 
but then the real stroke of good luck came when he he actually played Usnavi in a production of In the Heights at the Kennedy Center. And it was directed by another Heights alum, Stephanie Clemens. He was replacing an actor who got injured at the last minute um, and just sort of tagged in as a favor. Um, and I, I will never forget seeing him in that role. It was this very out-of-body experience of like, oh, I wrote this role all those years ago so that you could play it someday. Like, that's Aww. why I did that. Um, wow. I played Usnavi, but you are Usnavi. Um, wow. And that's that's truly how it felt to see him in that role for the first time. And then um, it was just a matter of like introducing him to John and making, uh, seeing if John felt the same way uh, we did. Um, but it was, you know, he's he's a star and, and, he, and he comes to it so effortlessly. Anthony doesn't have to put anything on to be Usnavi. Like he is someone who is the heart of a community. He is someone who is the center of his circle of friends and and loved ones um, in, in such a, grounded and real way and he's gorgeous and can sing and dance and act but like yeah, he yeah. just it's it, it fits him like it's like i i made this suit 10 years mm -hmm. ago and like here comes this kid and it fits him perfect i don't have to alter a yeah. word of it he's great and it's it's not just an emotional connection it's i mean even even his facility with the the rhymes and the flow is so fluid it's so easy you know oh, you don't man. hear him working he makes it sound easy and yeah, he's it neo. is not easy yeah he's neo he's just like he's born to do it i was gonna ask alex about that like being with this project from the beginning and then moving it to the film side musically it so much honors the play but it's such a new thing it, mm. it, it's its own thing, the film, yeah. and the music is is a, is different in a beautiful way. Um, how was that approach? Like, what did you what did you have to do differently? Yeah. So what I loved is, is the opportunity that we got to just really like make the music as authentic as possible, as rich as possible, as powerful as possible. When you're watching a, a theatrical performance, right, the music lands on you in a different way as an audience member, right? Because you're hearing something live. You're focusing on a lot of different things. You're feeling the vibrations in the air, right? The sound travels through the speakers in a certain way that like maybe little mistakes might not come across <laughs> in a certain way. But when you're making a record, which is essentially what a movie is, right? All those details yeah. come into focus. And when one thing's out of place or something just doesn't sound quite right or, or the performance isn't there, you feel it and you notice it. It's magnified because you're seeing it right. on a big screen or you're hearing it on headphones or whatever it is. So here we have this opportunity that you know, for example, if there is a section of it won't be long now that has a bachata groove, then like, let's call a, a bachata specialist who come in and play the guitar on that, right? If there's yeah. a certain, uh, oh, oh, hey, Carnaval, like, you know, we didn't have a cuatro in the orchestration in Carnaval because it's hard to find one guitarist who can play Electric, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, tres, and cuatro, and everything else, right? But okay, great. Let's get a cuatro player to play on that song because that's what the song needs. Uh, right? Uh, wow. 96,000. Like, wouldn't it be great to have Mike Elizondo, like, who produces hip-hop tracks and has, like, low-end for days when he plays bass? Like, let's get that guy to play on the track.
it was really like, you know, we were like kids in a candy store knowing yeah. that we could really do whatever we thought the songs needed. And yeah. everything just got magnified in the best possible way. Like we went from uh, six horns on Broadway to nine horns for the movie, right? We had two <laughs> percussionists and a drummer. Well, let's have four percussionists and a drummer because we got to have that fourth guy on the Guido playing the groove. You know, it's like yeah. all of a sudden we get to do, uh, um, just take the song to that next level. And uh, my co-executive music producer, Bill Sherman, uh, his tagline was like, hey, we have to make, Heights 2.0 musically. And that's what yeah. it really felt like. It's just like, how, how do we just take it to the next level? And that's just on the track side, right? Because then on top yeah. of that, you have all these amazing actors who sing their faces off. And that's what yeah. I love about this movie. The actors you see performing oh my gosh. on the screen are singing. I didn't know. I love Melissa from Vida. I didn't know she could sing like that. She sings and then I just, I just met Leslie Grace and I was like, oh my yes. gosh, you, you are a singer who is now acting like i was yes. like oh but Corey hawkins what a great yes. choice for benny he's amazing amazing and amazing one of the things i love the most is that um again me being able to bring in all the institutional knowledge i had about the show just from having been around it and having lived in it and having heard lynn talk to actors about what the songs are, are meant to evoke and being with kiara as she's creating the scenes and knowing what the message is supposed to be one of my favorite parts as the producer was being in the studio and talking directly to the actors and say, okay, when you deliver this sung line, I think it leads a little bit more of this undertone. I think it needs to feel a little bit more like this so that the performance that they gave to that microphone felt like it had story, felt like it had meaning, felt like it, it was lived in. And I just love being able to work on all angles, right? The tracks and the vocals and the mix and everything to get the song sounding in the way that I thought that yeah. the songs needed to sound. And I, yeah. I really enjoyed that part of the process. To, to the point where the actors are so uh, at home with it that, you know, that number champagne in our in the movie, they're singing live. You wanna stay? What? You could stay uptown, maybe save this place. Ha ha, very funny. And it's not like Sonny's got role models. Oh Stepping up to the plate. Yo, what are you talking I'm about? I'm just saying, I think your vacation can wait. Vacation, Vanessa, you left us too. And I moved down to West 4th Street. You can take the What age. are you trying to say? You're leaving the country, and we're never going to see you again. What are you trying to say? Get everyone addicted to your coffee, and off you go. Vanessa, I don't know why you're mad at me. I wish I was mad. That's one continuous live take yep. with yep. one very talented Steadicam operator, uh, yep. the whole number. And I think it's the ninth take. And again, wow. like that's the level of prep and, and rehearsal so that on the day we go, holy shit, we have a quiet day on location in Washington Heights. Let's sing it live. And, and, they, and they're able to do that. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. But, but like you said yeah. about that song, like it became something else because the movie you know, you could do it in, in film. So when you saw the final cut, because I got, I cried, I think I cried four times just in the opening credits. Like just, <laughs> I was like, this is beautiful. My husband's like, it hasn't started. I'm like, it's amazing. <laughs> um, did you feel like, do you, yeah. were you happy with, with the final result and feel like, wow, this is full circle? I feel the same way about the movie, the way I feel about my neighborhood itself. Like there are so many layers um, of meaning and so many layers of my life in Vuelto in this movie. You know, you go from one, it's on location in the neighborhood we wrote the songs about. So there's the layer of 
seeing Nina and Benny sing When You're Home in the same park and playground where I was on my first date with my wife and we were showing each other our favorite parts of the neighborhood. Um, seeing, again, those Easter eggs of Seth Stewart, our original Graffiti Pete, as the bartender in the club. Seeing our original cast singing The Hydrants Are Open uh, in that final scene. The Ice Cream uh, Man. The Ice Cream Man, played by sometime Lin-Manuel Miranda collaborator Christopher Jackson. Um, <laughs> the uh, Again, like layers and layers, like there's the layers of the writing the experience, there's the layers of, of performing the experience, and then there's this new layer of this incredible uh, company of actors who've brought it to life uh, on screen, and them finding community. Like, I can't watch... Carnaval del Barrio in the movie without thinking about the fact that we only had one day to get it. One day to capture an eight-minute musical number from sunup to sundown and the joy and the triumph and hearing Anthony Ramos being like, this is for the culture! Let's go! And cheering us on at every turn. Um, so, and I feel the same way. Again, I live um, not far from where I grew up. I walk five blocks and I'm 15 years old again, writing bad poetry <laughs> in the cloisters. Or I'm walking by the apartment <laughs> building where I took piano lessons when I was seven years old. So to have those layers of experience in the film as well is really, really a joy. Wow. And, and the poignancy too of coming out of this pandemic and seeing people singing and dancing in the streets and finding community with each other, which we're all rusty at right now. Like, what does it, like, we're all kind of squinting and walking back into the sun. Like, oh yeah, remember kissing? <laughs> like, remember, like, <laughs> dancing with our friends at a club? Like, yeah. we've all, um, we've all, you know, for very good reason, been been hunkered down and, and to see a movie that was filmed before this happened and is such a celebration of what yeah. community can do when they're together um it, again like hits on still another level yeah you guys lynn i can't even tell you what this movie means just to see it on screen well and listen see... i i remember you championing us when we first went out to la with the show and that's when we became friends so you know we go all the <laughs> way back with this thing so i love you i'm so grateful to you for doing this um so this june 11th we're going to celebrate a world of dreams and community and music and dance and food and romance and family in the Heights, June 11th in theaters and on HBO Max for 31 days. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. We will see you all on the My Cultura Podcast Network from iHeartMedia. So much cool stuff happening there, including my very own podcast. So stay tuned for that and more from some of the most iconic Latinx voices and creators. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>